Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the first Sunday of May. Isn't it wonderful out there for a May day? And good to see all of you here. Let me welcome all of you that are worshiping with us online and say hello to our Midlothian campus. Karen and I are looking forward to being out there with you this afternoon at the fellowship. We got to see uh, Kelly baptized here. I assume Kelly's sitting somewhere. Yeah, because like this whole side of the church stood up when you were baptized. So we saw Kelly baptized here this morning and our Midlothian campus has five people being baptized this afternoon. So we're, we're excited. We're in the baptizing business here at the Heights. Amen. So uh, we're looking forward to seeing you all a little bit later today. We are continuing today our, our series in First John. If you're new to our church or maybe been away a couple of Sundays, we began this. Uh, well, I guess today's our fourth Sunday now in this. It's, we've already a month into this series, fourth Sunday. We're doing 12 messages in First John. And, uh, you know, when you think about the Apostle John, your mind probably first goes to the, the Gospel of John and that, that tremendous book in the New Testament. But I don't know about y'all, we're only one chapter into this short letter, and it packs a punch, doesn't it? There is a lot in First John, and we're certainly going to see that today. Go ahead and start turning there uh, in your Bible or Bible app, whatever you're using to, to read along. Uh, you'll find First John at the end of your Bible. Go to Revelation and back up a few pages, and you'll, you'll be in First John pretty quickly. As you're turning there, how many of you have heard of the book, um, Everything I Needed to Know I Learned in kindergarten. You know, that's one of those books you wonder, has anybody actually read it? You know, I mean, I think like everybody in America knows that title, but I wonder, have, have they actually read I haven't. I haven't read it. I'm referring to the title today, but I've, I've never read it. But Robert Fulham's idea in that book is that what we really need to know to make life work comes down to things that we, that we learned in, in kindergarten. Share everything play fair, don't hit, clean up your own mess. And when you hurt somebody, say you're sorry. Now think about what's being communicated in that title. Everything, everything I need to know. I mean, those rules aren't going to help me do engineering or accounting or plumbing or sell real estate or do any of that kind of stuff, is it? No, not at all. But I think the idea is that while I'm doing engineering or plumbing or accounting, those things make life go a lot better, right? And if you stop and think about it, the real burdens that we're carrying today, the stuff that keeps us up at night, the the stuff that's heavy on our heart, probably isn't going to be solved by an engineer or an accountant, unless you're being audited. Then that's a heaviness also that your accountant will help you with. But, but most of the time, the real heaviness we have in life is not going to be solved by these things. We have that heaviness because somebody, maybe us, bro- broke one of those rules. So it's an in- interesting concept. Everything I needed to know, I learned in kindergarten. I refer to that book today because First John chapter 2 kind of reads like that. I mean, folks, the Bible is a, uh, that's a big book, isn't it? It's, it's not just a big book in size. Boy, it's big in what it does. It's big in what it covers. Man, we're covering huge ideas in the book. Who's God? 
What can we know about him? Has he revealed himself? Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? What's the purpose of of life? Good versus evil. Suffering. I mean, big topics in the Bible. Things we want to know, things that we want to learn, things we should want to know and learn. But with all there is for us to, in time, you know, mine out of this great book, it really does come down to some very simple ideas. Things we should have learned in the spiritual kindergarten of life. Love God, love people, be like Jesus. As we're trying to learn all there is, just do those things and you're heading in a good place. Let's see how John handles this. Would you look with me today at 1 John chapter 2 and I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. 1 John chapter 2 verse 1. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. You you know, back on the first message, we said one of the things that's nice about John is he makes his purpose very clear. You don't ever have to wonder what the purpose of John's letter, John's gospel is. He's always going to tell you, hey, I wrote this so you won't sin. Now, that statement's not just for the original readers of this letter. That statement's for you and me too, right? I mean, we're, we're reading this letter 2,000 years later. Why are we reading it? Why has God placed this in front of us? So you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. Probably the translation you're reading has the word propitiation there. Not not a word we use a lot. We're going to come back to that in a little bit. And not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, hey, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person's a liar. I told you last week, John wasn't done saying, hey, you're lying to yourself. I mean, here, here, we, here we are again. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That's how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live, uh, should live their lives as Jesus did. Dear friends, I'm not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, it's an old one you've had from the very beginning. This old commandment, to love one another, is the same message you heard before. Yet yet it's also new because Jesus lived the truth of this commandment. Now I don't just have words. I have a life that beckons that out of me. The life of Jesus beckons this life of loving others uh, out of me. Yet it's also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment, and you also are living it. Now, I think that's the first time in this letter that John actually assumed something good about us, isn't it? He just assumed you and I are loving one another, for the darkness is disappearing. Is that what's happening in your life? Is that what's happening in your workplace, your school, your neighborhood, your, your, the, the gang you run with among the people around you? Darkness is disappearing because you're there. I don't know about you, I read that and I think, uh, yeah, 
Yeah, I I hope that's what's happening. For the darkness is disappearing and the true light is already shining. If anyone claims, hey, I'm living in the light, but hates a fellow believer. Now, a lot of us might be real quick to dismiss ourselves from this because we kind of know in here you're not supposed to say, I hate, right? Okay, I needed more than one person to say <laughs> that's right. Yeah, we don't, we don't say, I hate. Not, not us, good Christian folk. We don't, we don't say that. Now, we may not say that, but boy, we can have a lot of feelings and actions and words that are really, really close cousins to hate. Okay, so more than likely, don't dismiss yourself from what's about to be said. And what's sad, he's not just talking about any relationship out there in the world. He's talking about how sometimes we hate each other in here. And that's reality. I seriously doubt there's a person in this room, a person at Midlothian, a person watching online that has not gone to church with somebody that you don't like. That's reality. Okay, so John, you got your belt seat on, belt buckle on? If anyone says, I'm living in the light but hates a fellow believer, that person's in darkness. That's the bond you're building. That's the fellowship that you're building in your life. It's with the dark. Anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. Notice our hatred for somebody will cause people all around me to stumble. But if anyone hates such a anyone hates a fellow believer is still living and walking in the darkness. Such person, such a person does not know the way to go having been blinded by the darkness. So we've long passage here and a lot lot going on in that. The last couple of weeks I've been using four or five verses at a time, but today 11 verses, 11 verses that have a lot going on, but they can be broken down kind of simply. One through six, love God, right? If you've got your own Bible, you can just write above. One through six, love God. If you've got somebody else's Bible, write it in theirs. One through six, love God. Seven through 11, love others. With a thread that runs between them, be like Jesus. You see that in verse 6. You see that in verse 8. Be like Jesus. You know, and that's probably who John was thinking about when he wrote these verses, right? Remember, the writer of this letter is an eyewitness to Jesus. He watched Jesus love. He watched Jesus serve. He watched Jesus teach. As a matter of fact, John was there one day when a guy walked up to Jesus and he said, what should I have gotten out of the kindergarten of spiritual life? Jesus, if you could just boil it down to one thing for me, what would that one thing be? And Jesus said, yeah, I can give you one thing. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That is the great. That is the first commandment. And a second is like it. Now, the guy didn't ask for two. He asked for one. And now Jesus is giving him a second. But you know, the operative phrase there is like it. He's not actually giving a second command. There is a second that is just like the first. You cannot talk about one without talking about the other. You can't do one without doing the other. When you're loving God, you're loving people, even the annoying ones. And when we're loving people, boy, our words go a lot further when we say that we 
love God. And so he is, uh, he is thinking about Jesus. He's thinking about that, that uh, mindset when he gives us this, this teaching. And that verse ended, did you notice? All the law and the prophets depend on this. In other words, everything else you're going to... I mean, I mean, four words. Love, love God, love people. Everything in here is defining, elaborating, explaining, illustrating how you love God, how you love people. And when you turn to 1 John chapter 2, what do you find? More elaboration, more explaining how you love God and how you love people. Now, he starts off by saying, little children. I don't know about you, it's been a while since I've been called a little child. You know, I, I think the translation I read said, dear children, but actually the word there is little children. And, and that's, you know, we might hear that as a little bit condescending. And if you do, just brace yourself because he's going to call you a little child six more times. Seven times in this letter, that was the first one. He says, little children. Now, we're going to see this even more next week. But, but these references, he's kind of speaking to us as a spiritual family. And so in this case, he's talking about what all of us are before the Father. Before God, we are, we are all, we're all little children. We're small. We got a lot to learn. We got a lot of growing to do, right? Can anybody in here say, that's not me? No, we really are little children. Of course, we probably should remember, John's 90 years old. You know, I mean, it's not something, it's simple math, but, you know, sometimes you go, oh, yeah. You know, a 60-year-old is 30 years younger than John. So I guess everybody is kind of a little child to John. <laughs> but it is a term of endearment. When he says little children, that's not meant to come off as, uh, you know, gather around. Come on around here. Listen to the spiritual guru. Listen to the wise master sage as I speak my pearls of wisdom. That's not how anybody would have understood that. What they would have heard, if anything, in that term would have been something like you would, you would hear and feel when a very kind and loving and wise grandfather says, hey, let's talk. And so he begins to talk with them. And the question on the table, the thing we're trying to figure out is loving God. What does that mean? What does that look like? I mean, if you say, hey, love your mate or love your kids or love your friends or even love your enemies. I mean, there, there's a chance that something comes to our mind. Even if I'm not very good at doing that, even if I'm doing a really bad job at it. If you say, hey, love your wife. Okay, well, see, that probably means maybe take her out to dinner or maybe buy her a gift, or maybe, maybe stop doing this, or start doing this. I mean, some kind of ideas will come to our mind, right? But you say, love God. Oh, okay, well, what do you do? <laughs> what, what, what do you do to love God? Now, we, we've said this several times now in, in just four messages. One of the things you, you love about John is his simplicity and his directness. You don't ever have to figure out what he's saying. Okay, it's a question on the table. Love God. You want to love God? Obey God. That's it. We can go home. Pack up. I, I mean, really, it's just what more is there? You want to love God? You obey God. 
You know, we come in here, especially on a Sunday morning, especially when we're gathering in church. Man, we're praying, and I don't know about you, I want my prayers to communicate a, a love for God, a passion and an excitement for God. Our songs, I want my songs to communicate a, a passion and excitement. And no doubt, look, look at the Psalms. The Psalms are words. The Psalms are songs of, of prayers and music to communicate a passion and a love for God. So that's very much a part of it. But if my words and my songs are preceded by disobedience and heading right back out to disobedience, guess what happens to my words and songs? They start to lose some of their oomph, don't they? They start to ring a little bit hollow. And that's where John, as John has done so well in just a short amount of time already, hey man, you're lying to yourself. You're lying to yourself if you think love is being communicated when disobedience is surrounding those words, those prayers, those, those songs. Now, John doesn't really do this in this passage, but I kind of want to run just a little bit of a rabbit trail because I, th- I think there is something that precedes obeying God. You see, before I can obey God's commands, I've got to know, know God's commands, And there's a lot of them in here. I think a lot of times in our mind, you know, be nice mostly, don't cuss a lot, probably not supposed to lie. I think that's about it. I mean, think about what you confess. You know, I I mean, this this book, a real theme is, is on fellowship. And and we've talked about, I've done this sermon a couple of times in, in my time here over 30 commands of what we're supposed to be for one another. Do you know them? And if you don't know them, then how can you be obeying them? And if you're not obeying them, then you are disobeying them. You see, I've got to to know what God's Word says so I can obey God's Word. You know, I think one way we can measure our love is the energy, the motivation, the interest that we have regularly all through the week to be diving into this book and saying, hey, God, how do I love you? How do I love you with today? How do I love you with this enemy? How do I love you with my friends? How do I love you with my family? How do I love you with my money? Hey, God, how do I love you with this situation or this person over here that is really frustrating me, really undoing me? Or God, how do I love you with this promotion I just got, with this victory that I just had? Hey, God, how do I love you with tomorrow? Everything going on in our lives. We go into God's Word and say, hey, how do I love you with this? And everything you're dealing with has a command. Everything you're dealing with has a way that you can show God how you love Him. Now, somebody might say, well, I, I don't know. Meeting a bunch of demands doesn't sound like love to me. Well, that's because you're thinking about demands from our own way of doing that. If I make a bunch of demands on you, if I make one demand on you pretty good chance that somehow makes things better for me. I'm somehow enriched, rewarded, enabled when I tell you, hey, you need to do this. Hey, you better do this. But do you know God's not like that? Here's a crazy thought. When you and I obey every single command of the Bible, God's not enriched one bit. God's not enriched, God's not improved, God's not strengthened, God's not enabled. There's nothing that becomes more or better about God because you and I obeyed. His demands are for you. 
Therefore, your well-being and the well-being of those around you. The demands are expressions of God's character. Why does he say tell the truth? Because he is truth. What are we doing in obedience? We're building a fellowship. What is fellowship? It's a common bond, a shared experience. When I'm telling the truth, I'm sharing an experience with what God is like, and I'm building fellowship with God. And the more I build fellowship with God, the more I can build fellowship with you. And as we fall in Psalm 1 John chapter 1, with all this fellowship, guess what I got? Joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where's all that joy come from? From knowing And obeying God's commands. And you know what? If I find that, I mean, I might say I want to. I can probably look back over the last seven days, over the last month. I mean, this is very measurable. If I don't really have that much energy, that much time, that much awakeness to to learn what God's word says. So that I can then ask God for help in obeying what he says. If I... Don't have a lot of interest in obedience, then what does John say? Hey, you may be sitting here this morning, but you're lying to yourself that you and God got something going. You're lying to yourself that you've got a bond, that that you've got a fellowship with God. That's just not true. And remember, as John's writing this, as the Holy Spirit is laying these words on his heart, John's an eyewitness. His mind is going to run back to things Jesus said, experiences he had with Jesus. And I can't help but wonder, as he's writing these words, does he remember that night in the upper room? The night before Jesus was crucified. And he's just talking to those 12 guys there. And he says, if you love me. And don't you all know they're going, I do, I do. I swear I love you. If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. You see, this idea of loving God is obeying God, not some random thing that John's throwing out there and seeing how it's going to work for us. This is, this is the message of Scripture. It runs all the way through the Bible. If I love God, I'm going to obey God. My guess is a lot of us know that. My guess is a lot of us need to be reminded of that. (laughs) You know, as I, I think about John thinking about things he heard Jesus say and watch Jesus do, I... You know, even as we kind of now transition from loving God to loving people, I, I, I wonder again, does John's mind go back to the upper room that night before the crucifixion? And, and Jesus gets up from the table and he, y'all remember the story, he begins to wash their feet. And Peter's kind of weirded out by that. You know, you shouldn't be doing that. I mean, that's what servants do. Jesus, you're the, you're the king of kings. You're the son of God. I, I mean, that would be a little bit humbling, if not undoing, to think that God's washing my... I don't even want to look at my feet, right? You, you know, washing feet's not something we do. That just seems kind of weird and peculiar. It was an everyday part of life in this culture because you walked around barefooted or maybe with sandals on and sandals is not a whole lot more than barefooted and you walked on dirt roads and you walked on really even unsanitary roads it it was dirt your feet were bad in a in a bad way and so you didn't go walking with that all over your feet into somebody's house so in every home there, there's going to be a little pole, bowl, a little pitcher, and you come in, and you, know, you can put your hand on, pick up the pitcher, and you're, you're going to at least wash off 
You're going to water down your, your feet a little bit. And if I'm a, if I'm a home of some means, then I've got a servant. And, and that servant is going to wash my feet. And when you come over to my house, it would absolutely feel very normal, very natural for you to sit down there at the front door and somebody start to wash your feet. So that was, while it's a whole idea of this picture, it just seems kind of weird to us, it would have been a very common picture other than the fact, no, Jesus, you shouldn't be bowing before me and washing my feet. Now, remember what John said at the very beginning of this letter. We heard, we saw, we touched. I wonder if he starts to talk to, to us about loving people. He, he envisions, he remembers there, Jesus bowing before him. And he's washing John's feet. He can feel Jesus' touch. And he hears him say, If I then, your Lord and teacher, wash your feet, shouldn't you do this for one another? Man, just as I have loved you, just Just like I'm loving you. And think about what that love is going to look like tomorrow when he's hanging on the cross. Just as I have loved you. That's how you love each other. And the whole world knows you're mine because you do this. Now, if that's what's in the back of John's mind... Right? Can we all see that that memory is there? He heard Jesus say that. He watched Jesus say that. He may have felt Jesus' touch as he was watching. If that's the image in his mind of loving others, can you understand now why John is going to look at you and me and says, hey, let me tell you something. If you hate, no way. If your life is operating towards somebody, somebody's, If you're fishing out of the the river of anger and and bitterness and hatred, and again, we're going to be real quick. I I never said I hate him. What's John talking about all through chapter 1 and chapter 2? Tell yourself the truth. You absolutely know what's going on in your heart toward that person. And you can call it what you want. You can justify it like you want. And he goes back and he uses this imagery of light and dark that he used last week. And he says, if you hate somebody, you're building a bond with darkness. And God's not in that darkness. What did he say last week? There's no darkness in God at all. I don't know what you think you're doing over there. I don't know who you think you're building it with. But it's not with God. Because you're not building a common experience. You're not building a shared experience with God when you hate. You want to know a good measurement for hate? I'm, again, we don't say I hate. But let's do something we've all done. Had a conversation with somebody about them. And when I'm done conversing with this somebody, they now don't like them. And we have to do this because it justifies the evil in me. Makes me feel good about myself. I can now tell myself I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good and righteous because this person agrees with me. And now we together know what a bad person they are. And by the way, what two of you know may be true. That person may really be a jerk. Jesus said, you know, if I wash your feet and you are so undeserving of me loving and serving you. You're so undeserving of me getting on my knees and watching. Man, if I did that, should you not do that for one another? 
If you walk away from a conversation and that person now doesn't like them, you're building hate. You're building a bond with the darkness. And whatever else you think you're building in life, you're not building anything with God. That's a little overwhelming, isn't it? I mean, sometimes, I, I, I think I said this in the first sermon, you're going to love the clarity of John and you're going to hate the clarity of John because he just gives you no place to escape. He just, he just gives you nowhere to run. And as if I'm not completely overwhelmed sitting here right now wondering, if, do I love God at all and do I love anybody in this church at all? Then John just wraps it up and says, hey, here, let's do this. Just be like Jesus. Oh, well, thanks, because I'm so good at that. Just be like Jesus. You know, it's already started to happen. We're certainly going to fill it in chapter 2. Wait till chapter 3. I mean, there's so many places where I, 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 I don't know if I'm a Christian. I know why I've been telling myself I'm a Christian. I know why I've been convincing myself. But I read this, I look at this, and I think, oh, my gosh. I think I'm a lot more comfortable in the dark than I am the light. I think I'm building a whole lot more bond and experience with the dark than I am with the light. And you know, when you and I get overwhelmed, when the mountain becomes so big, we just, you just want to quit, right? I mean, what's the point? I can't do it. I, I can't do it. I can't get up. I'm never even going to come close. So why even try? And John says, no, 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 don't quit. You've got an advocate. Now, it's kind of, I, I don't know quite why I did this. I'm ending the message today with the place that John started his right. He talked about an advocate. Remember when I read that? We read it a moment ago. Right up at the top, he said, hey, man, you've got an advocate. It's like I see in John's mind. John's going, man, I'm getting ready to blast y'all right between the eyes. I mean, you're going to find out just how absolutely worthless you are. But hold on. You've got an advocate. Man, I'll tell you something, that, those words, you have an advocate, I, I think those are some of the most beautiful words, not just in this letter, in the whole Bible. I have somebody to speak for me before the judge of all judges, in the court of all courts, in a court in which I continually stand guilty. I've got somebody to speak for me. John says here that Jesus, the righteous, is my advocate. That word in the Greek, oddly enough, means the same thing it means in English. An advocate, a lot of times we'll think of a lawyer, but it doesn't have to be a lawyer. It can be a social worker. It can be somebody appointed by the court. But, a, but, a, but an advocate is somebody who speaks on behalf of, acts on behalf of, has authority to speak and on, on behalf of somebody else. So Jesus is speaking on my behalf, acting on my behalf, defending on my behalf. And get this, folks, he doesn't do that because I paid him. Hey, did you come up with enough? I got a good one. I got a good lawyer. Did you get enough? No, he's not doing this because I I paid him off. He's not doing this because he's court appointed. Uh, That's my job. You're as guilty as the day is long, but let's see what we can do. No, it's not an issue of being appointed. It's not an issue of being hired. He's standing there as my advocate, as my propitiation. You know, a concept of God that's hard for us to understand because we 
we have almost no good picture of anger or wrath. And so it's hard to say this and us understand something good about God. But God is righteously angry with you. He is filled with wrath towards you. And we always talk about what loving God would do. A loving God is a just God. And a just God would pour out his wrath on you. It would be the most right thing he does. The word propitiation means the satisfaction of wrath. The satisfaction of debt. There there is a load of wrath that has my name on it. And as Jesus hung on the cross, the wrath that belonged on me fell on him and God's righteous wrath was satisfied. And now, what did we look at last week? Now when God forgives me, he's actually being just. He's just because the wrath has been satisfied. He's just because the debt has been paid. Jesus, the one defending me, is also the one who is my propitiation. People will go and stand before the Lord. Roughly nine out of ten would be my guess. Maybe seven out of eight people will stand before God one day, and they will make a case for themselves in the court of all courts before the judge of all judges. And they'll point to what they tried to be. I, you know, I tried to do this. I meant to do this. They might point to their goodness or their spirituality. Maybe they'll try, well, I knew them. Well, I was connected to this group. Well, I was, you know, and by the way, every religion on the planet except Christianity promotes this concept. That you go and make a case for yourself and your life has to have done all of these things. And you're going to make a case for all the good that is you. Without ever doing the simple math, if all the good that is you is absolutely true, how in the world does that erase all the bad that is also you? We never quite do that math, do we? Because that doesn't work anywhere on this planet. That because I've done this good thing over here, that means this bad thing no longer exists. But that's what most people will do when they stand before God. Me, based on what I'm understanding from 1 John, when I go and stand before God, I... I'm with Jesus. That's all I'm going to say. That's all I got. And that's everything in the world to have. I'm, I'm with Jesus. <laughs> I don't got anything else to say. I'm just going to let him take it from here. That's exactly what John is communicating right here. So don't quit. Don't quit trying to be just like Jesus. Don't quit trying to love like God. Love God. Love people. Don't quit. I know you fell. But you have an advocate. Now, when you hear that what, is that, what does that end up meaning for you in this week ahead? You know, one of the things that John's trying to address, and remember, he's watched the church now receive God's grace, receive God's love. He's watched that for six decades. And he's saying, you know, if you learn that, and then you leave here and you're basically operating under the idea, hey, this is a good thing I got going. Hey, God, Jesus, I'll tell you what we'll do. I'll keep sinning, you keep forgiving. I'll do what I do, you do what you do. And that's where John's saying, you, you, no, that's... You realize in sin you're building something. You're building a bond. You're building experience. You can't build in the dark and you can't build in the light at the same time. 
Or do we read this and are just so humbled, so overwhelmed with God's love that we say, God, I, I, I want to love you. I want to love you better. I want to love you more. When I come in here next Sunday and I say, I love you, Jesus, I, wanna, I want a week of obedience feeding those words. Amen? But, Lord, I fail. What did Jesus say last week? He's saying the same thing here this week. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. I want us to put on some lens as we go into this week. Maybe look at this week a little bit different. Everything you do the next several days, every situation you're in, every relationship, every problem, you're excited, you're frustrated, you're happy, you're angry. Every single thing you're going to deal with this week is an opportunity for you to love God and to love people. Now, imagine right now you're saying, I can't, what does that look like? I don't know what it would mean to love God in that situation. Well, good news, you don't have to figure it out. You don't have to make it up. Just go to the book and obey it. You want to love God this week? Obey God this week. Go here and find out how. And if you fall, and let's not act like falling is, is the obvious. If you fall, though, you have an advocate. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that uh, you, would, you would focus our heart and mind on this week ahead, that we're literally looking at, at every relationship, every conversation, everything we're going to learn, everything we're going to deal with, that we're, we're just, what, what is the overwhelming thought in our heart and soul is, God, how can I love you in this? How can I love you through this? How can I handle this in a way so that on the other side, it is proclaiming to heaven, I love you. And Lord, help me to realize if I am rightly and genuinely proclaiming my love for you, I am going to proclaim and live my love for your people, even the hard ones. Holy Spirit, I need help, as do we all. And it's in your name that we ask for all this. Amen.